So with that said, I'm ready to dive into part two of our series, The Struggle is Real. Uh, if you missed last week, you can listen to it on our YouTube channel or our podcast. And uh, this series is all about mental health. Uh, this is a personal passion of mine. Uh, prior to becoming a pastor, I worked as a psychologist, uh, predominantly with teenage uh, young men and women, uh, as well as some children. That was kind of my training was in 18 and younger. Uh, but I have a passion for this area, the intersection of psychology with theology. Uh, and the Bible has a lot to say about our, our emotional health and our mental health. And uh, let me say this off the forefront. I did last week. I'll say it again probably every week. Uh, and the Bible is full of people who had emotional struggles. And let me say this because sometimes you can come into a church environment and you can look around around you and everybody can look okay. But here's a reality. It is okay to not be okay. It's okay to struggle. Uh, because here's the reality. Uh, maybe you've, you've experienced this, um, especially the past two years. Has anyone learned that life is hard? <laughs> right? Especially in a pandemic. Especially in a pandemic. Life is, is hard. And it does something to our souls. And, uh, you know, Jesus, or God, rather, he made us spirit, soul, and body. And uh, we're focusing on the soul uh, and the spirit in this series, uh, and they all work together. And let me also say this, um, this series is by no means uh, to replace any counseling you receive. In fact, we're pro-counseling here, pro-therapy. Uh, I know we have some clinicians in the room right now. Thank you. We thank God for you. Uh, I love my counselor. Uh, and I, I think in the same way you have a primary care physician, you should have a primary mental care physician. If you agree with that, can you say amen? Um, uh, but um, we, so anyway, so that, and then also let me say this, uh, again, I want to just free some people up, that it is also okay to take medication for any psychological uh, struggle you have. In the same way you would feel no shame for taking blood pressure medication, there should be no shame for anti-anxiety medication. There should be no shame for antidepressants. Can I get an Amen. So I want to free some people up. If you've been to church where they've over-spiritualized some things, uh, God made us a spirit, soul, and body, and we're to tend to all aspects of ourselves. Uh, today, I'm talking about a topic uh, which probably no one in the room here has ever struggled with and not online, but it's a topic of fear. Um, that was a joke. Uh, <laughs> We actually live in a time now that was coined, even pre-pandemic, uh, 2016, there were several articles written on this, that they called it that we were living in the age of fear. Uh, in fact, a lot of even, even media is kind of fear-inducing because fear is a motivator. Like, and a part of it is um, at a neurobiological level because your fear, the center of fear in your brain is the amygdala, uh, which is a part of the limbic system. Uh, it's kind of more of a, of a basic part of your brain as opposed to the prefrontal cortex, which is like, uh, you know, your reasoning and your planning part of your brain. It's more of an instinctual part of your brain. And listen, not all fear is bad. In fact, fear in short doses um, helps save our lives, right? So when you're driving on the beltway and someone cuts you off, the amygdala it all of a sudden goes into overdrive and you can swerve, Right? Um, or when you see a grizzly bear, it's so you can run faster. Come on. Um, hopefully you've never seen a grizzly bear. But if you do, the amygdala is like, go. Um, and so, so there, there's, a, there's a, an adaptive aspect to fear. But here's, here's the concerning aspect of fear. 
is that fear that is long-term, fear that is chronic, is destructive. Uh, we're not tended to be fear, fear, uh, fearful all the time. In fact, the University of Minnesota in 2021, last year, um, they found that actually fear um, has, uh, it creates immune system dysfunctions. It creates endocrine system dysfunctions. Uh, it actually ends up leading to more fatigue. Uh, it actually is kind of a precursor to, to clinical depression, a precursor to post-traumatic stress disorder. It interrupts your sleep cycles. There is a lot about long-term fear that is destructive to our bodies. And here's what's intriguing. When you look at our culture today, and again, please hear this as I say all of this. There's no condemnation if you find yourself in a moment, in a season, uh, where you're feeling a lot of fear. Because last year, in fact, the American Psychological Association, far, sorry, Gallup, found that 60% of all Americans were plagued by daily anxiety and fear. In fact, 18% are at a clinical level of, of anxiety or phobia. Uh, so please hear there's no condemnation. But what's also intriguing is two years ago, another study found that 91.4% of our fears will never come to pass. So 91.4% of the things that our amygdala is in overdrive about will actually never happen. And, and what, what, what we see is, I've said this since, since last week, um, I, I think that there are some things that are addressed at a psychological, at an emotional level even at a physiological level. But I think in our Western culture, even in the church, I think we undervalue how much is actually spiritual. You know, the, if 91.4% of our fears don't come to fruition, it means they're, they're false. Like the, what we fear is to some extent a falsehood or a lie. And Jesus himself called someone the father of lies. I think it's no... no uh, happenstance that we are in an age of fear and there's the father of lies who is actively working to convince us of lies that we live in fear which creates destruction remember Jesus said this the enemy wants to steal kill and destroy your life what does long-term fear do it steal kills and destroys emotionally physiologically Florence Nightingale says this that how little <laughs> How very little can be done under the spirit of fear. So not only does this damage to our bodies, but it inhibits us, right? Psychologists find there are three kind of baseline responses to fear. You've heard maybe at least of two of them. Fight or flight, you've heard those responses. Right? The fight response is whether, you know, if you face a grizzly bear, you put your dukes up, come on. Um, or you get cut off on the beltway and you get road rage. If that is you, we're going to come, have you come down front. We're going to lay hands on you to stop in the name of Jesus. No, I'm just kidding. Um, or you ever seen those, uh, uh, you'll probably maybe see some videos tomorrow about this, when like somebody's favorite football team loses and they punch the TV. Like that's a little bit of road rage, a little bit of football rage maybe. Um, but uh, maybe tonight you'll see some people do that. Hopefully not. But, but those moments that, that we, we fight, but fight can also be this, is that we keep ourselves so busy to almost like numb the fear, or we overthink, or we throw ourselves into something. We put ourselves busy with our kids, busy at work. Flight can be you run from the grizzly bear, but flight can also be you escape, right? Maybe the amygdala is in overdrive, so you binge watch some Netflix to forget what you're feeling. 
or you, you throw yourself into work or alcohol or food or some substance. Then there's a third response I call fawn, which is when you appease the fear. Here's a common way. You, maybe you fear rejection. Um, and you fear maybe in social settings being rejected by somebody. Maybe in the past you've been hurt from rejection. So what you do is to appease the fear, you, you, do, you aren't fully your authentic self because you are operating as a people pleaser. That resonates with me. I'm a, I'm a recovering people pleaser. Uh, so I, I recognize that. Uh, so here's my hope today is that we can move from a response of fight, flight, or fawn to a response of faith. And here's my hope today as we look to someone in Scripture who struggled with fear, uh, that we, look, we, we can move from being fearful, and we're going to see this in the Scriptures, to hopeful. Because fear is defined as this, an unpleasant, often strong emotion caused by the anticipation or the awareness of danger. And that we're not going to be anticipating danger or harm, but we would be hope-filled. And uh, there's a scripture I want to share. It's kind of our baseline scripture. I mean, you've heard of it if you've been around church. You've heard a message on fear. You've probably heard this scripture. It's 2 Timothy 1, verse 7. The apostle Paul writes this. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. We're going to come back to that at the end of our message today. Jesus himself said this in John 14, 27. Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. In other words, Jesus said, I'm coming to give you a peace that's not circumstantial. It's not conditional. He's not saying, I'm going to give you a peace when the pandemic is over. I'm going to give you a peace when, when that person you want to accept you accepts you. I'm not going to give you just peace when that job you're longing for you get. No, he's saying, I'm going to give you a peace that extends beyond circumstances. In fact, the Bible says this, beyond your understanding. How many want that kind of peace in your life? Like, I can't even fathom that peace. I can't even fully understand that peace, but I want his peace. And we see today, we're going to see a person in Scripture, David. This is before he was King David. And he was facing a moment where it was very fear-inducing. I'll give context. He was being pursued by King Saul and his army. I'm probably, I could be wrong here, but I'm going to go out on a limb and make an assumption that none of you here in this room or watching online are currently being pursued by a king and their army. <laughs> so you may be facing threats, but probably not that big. So, so this isn't some light, fluffy passage of like somebody who's speaking on fear who has no understanding of it. Like he's literally in the hiding for his life and he writes on the topic of being afraid. So I think we can lean into somebody who's experiencing a true threat to his life, yet he finds hope in God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. It is a lamp unto our feet and a light to our path. We pray as we open it up that you would speak to us. We love you. We honor you, Lord. And uh, Father, we posture our hearts and minds to receive from you in Jesus' name. Amen. So Psalm 27, where it's where we are, uh, verse 1, it says this. This is David writing. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? 
The Lord is a stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, and it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. One thing I ask from the Lord, the only thing do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord, to seek him in his temple. For the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. You know what I love about the Bible is its relevance. I think if we're not careful, especially if we've been around church, we can be familiar with texts and we can, we can sort of in our mind not fully embrace the context. And how relevant is the Bible that we are living in what sociologists are calling an age of fear and a pandemic that has created a lot of fear in people. And we have scriptures like an entire psalm, Psalm 27, which has to deal with a person who's struggling with fear. Come on, somebody. Read your Bibles. It's going to help you. (laughs) I'm telling you, it's so rich. There's so much we can glean from the scriptures to help guide us uh, for today. There's three things David did that I want to draw our attention to that I think we can take hold of in our own life um, to really help move from being fearful to being hopeful. Here's the first one, and that is, is to focus on the presence of God. He says, I want to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Now, what he's referring to here is not just to be in the house of God, the church, uh, but he's saying, I want to be in the presence of God. That David had this continual seeking of the presence of God, and the presence of God was found to be in the temple of God. We know in the New Testament, Paul says this, we are now the temples of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God lives on the inside of us. We also know this, that God is, theologically speaking, omniscient. He is always present all of the time, meaning this, he is as present tonight as you watch the Los Angeles Rams lose as he is right now. Do you see that? Sorry, I didn't say that first service. I was, I'll, I'll get spiritual again, sorry. Um, but he's as present when you read your Bible, or sorry, when you're taking your kids to school as when you read your Bible. He's as present as when you're making dinner as when you're worshiping him. But here's the reality is that he's always present. The question is not, is he present? The question is, are we aware of his presence? Are we aware of him in the moment? Because here's the reality is that we can go through our whole day, myself included, get up in the morning, get the kids ready. Maybe for you, get ready for class, get ready for work. Whether you log into work or you get on the metro or you drive into work or drive to class and you go to class and after class or after work, you go to the gym and you come home and you make dinner and then you watch your favorite Netflix show and then you lay your head down on the pillow and it's 1030 at night and perhaps you go on your whole day without being aware of the presence of the almighty God. Please hear this. There's no condemnation. my, My hope today is to stir us to become more aware of the presence. But you have to cultivate an awareness. It doesn't happen by happenstance. Uh, I was reminded about being in the presence of someone back when Christina and I was dating. We're dating. Um, in fact, we have been dating or maybe not yet dating. I was just hoping in my heart we'd be dating. And uh, we actually built a relationship uh, at the gym. And true story, I'm showing my cards. But I, I discovered when she got off work, so I knew about what time she went to the gym. So then I would show up at the gym when she was at the gym. And I'd be like, funny seeing you here. Do you want to work out together? I love you. Will you marry me? No, I'm just kidding. Don't be that guy. (laughs) Don't be that guy. That's why I need friends to give you counsel. 
don't do that early on. Just ride the wave, okay? But eventually, eventually you do need to ask that question. This is so sad. This is for somebody, okay? Eventually, if you're seven years deep, ask the question, okay? That's for somebody. I don't know who. First service didn't get that. Some of you are in here or you're watching online. Um, but I, I had to be intentional to be in the presence of her. What's that mean from a spiritual standpoint with God? It means we cultivate an awareness of his presence by reading his scripture. All right, Jesus was the word became flesh. We become an awareness of God by reading the scriptures through prayer, through gathering with your church family. The Bible says where two or more gather in his name, he is in the midst. God is present right now. He is always present all the time. We have to be intentional. But again, it's all the time. So again, even tonight as you're watching, washing dishes or cooking dinner or meal prepping for the week, whatever it might be, he is present. David wrote in Psalm 34, 4, I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all of my fears. That word delivered literally means to be snatched up. Like a parent snatching their child from, from danger. Uh, is, is the God, he rescues us from our fears. Those who look to him are radiant. That word radiant, it, what it means is it really speaks to a transformation on the inside of us. In the same way, Moses on the mountain, was, his face was glowing. It was radiant because he spent time with God. We are transformed in the presence of God. He says, I seek the Lord. I'm seeking his presence. So the, the question is not just, is he present? Uh, the question is, are we aware of his presence? Has anyone had this happen to you before? Um, and it's church, so you need to be honest, okay? Um, but have you ever had this moment where you were doing something? Maybe you were talking to someone and you missed what they said because you were distracted by this device? Anybody? Okay, just me. Okay, we'll move on. Uh, has, or maybe you were at, at, at a coffee shop and you missed them calling your name because you were looking on your phone. And then you get your, your coffee and it's lukewarm. Or your spouse was talking to you and you miss what she said because you were looking at, at your phone. Or maybe, this is the worst case scenario, this happened to me a few years ago in New York. You're walking and you run into something or someone because you are looking at your phone. Anybody want to do that? Just, I'm going to free you up right now in Jesus' name. I did that. How many of you know when I was in New York, the pole was, was always there? I just didn't see it. Listen. God is always there. We just don't often, we're not aware of it. Not aware of, of him being there. You know, there's a, there's a practice in uh, psychology. There's been some new age spirituality which have um, taken this word as well. And I want to give it um, a, a redemptive spin. Uh, but, but the psychologist, psychologist definition of mindfulness is to focus your attention upon something. Um, and, and here's what I want to encourage you to do is have holy mindfulness. Because the research shows when we're mindful, meaning we're focused, um, that we're actually experiencing a reduction of stress. And it calms the amygdala in our bodies. And listen, can I tell you what's even more powerful is holy mindfulness. Where you take a moment and you just focus on God. And let me get real practical, because some of you are thinking, Jeremy, that's great to hear, but I'm in a lab all day at the NIH. Jeremy, I'm running a business. Jeremy, I, I got three kids at home. Here's where I found it's helpful, is in the transitionary moments of your day. So in between a meeting, while you're getting ready for work or school, uh, 
in those moments, while you're doing the dishes, you know, there's a book called Practicing the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence. Uh, he's, it was an old monk, and he kind of came up with this kind of idea. He was, he was teaching this whole idea of, like, in the same way God's present in worship, he's present while I'm doing the dishes and becoming aware of his presence. So just focus on God. You can even just, and it can simply be this. You're just focusing on the presence of God, even asking God, God, where are you? Or what are you doing right now? Is there anything you want to say to me? Or maybe you recite or meditate on a scripture. Or maybe you just talk to him, just have a conversation with him. And again, it doesn't have to be, you know, 10 minutes. It can be several moments. But I'm telling you, you know what I found? As you do that throughout your day, watch all of a sudden you become more at peace. You know, it says uh, in 1 John 4, 18, you know, as we, we become more aware of the presence of God, we become more aware of the love of God. And 1 John 4, 18 says this. Many of you know the scripture. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. I love that. That word love is a word agape. It's the love that exemplified through Christ on the cross. That perfect love drives out fear. So in the presence of God, we become more aware of his love, which then drives out fear. You know, one of the things I love, uh, I'm, I'm kind of a research nerd, and I love it when psychosocial or scientific research actually affirms what God said a couple thousand years ago. Because New York Times published an article in 2017, Katie Murphy, the author, and what she said at the very end of the article was this. Psychologists and neuroscientists have found that when people receive love or people uh, have an expression of love towards them, I want you to catch this, they've actually found, neuropsychologists, it calms the amygdala. So other words, catch this, look how amazing our God is. As you focus on the presence of God, you, you cultivate an awareness of the presence of God, you become more aware of the love of God and receiving love, which his love is a perfect love. It's an it's a unconditional love. As you become aware of his love, it actually calms you down. It neurobiologically changes you. And can I tell you, it was God himself who created the amygdala in the first place. So don't you you know he knows how you work he knows how you're wired so he's wanting us to draw near to him so he can draw near to us we can become aware of his love and we calm ourselves down he's brilliant he's brilliant I'm telling you this is how you're wired this is the way God made you can I say a second thing too about this this is also the power of community because one of the ways that God loves you is through people. When you have someone to listen to you, when you have someone to support you, be there for you. Do you know Dr. Dan Siegel from UCLA Psychiatry, there's something he called when it talks about your, the feeling of fear. He says, if you express your feelings of fear or the thoughts associated with it, he calls it, you actually, he calls it name it and tame it. He's a psychiatrist. He said, actually, when you actually speak it to somebody else, it actually has a calming effect. What does the Bible say when you actually confess your sin? When you're transparent with each other, it actually heals you. Again, I'm telling you, church, God is brilliant. He didn't just create your spirit. He created your soul and your body. He knows how your amygdala works than anyone else. Come on. Sorry, I get excited. I nerd out a little bit, so forgive me but don't forgive me. Uh, so number one, focus on the presence of God. Number two is this, fill our mind with the word of God. 
David says, teach me your way, O Lord. Psalm 119, David says, Lord, I meditate upon your word. I consider your ways. David was continually kind of thinking on uh, the word of God. He even said in Psalm 119, but your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Like David had a love for the word of God. Psalm 56, he wrote this in verse 3. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you, in God whose word I praise, in God I trust and am not afraid. Like I praise your word. It's in your word that fear goes. The apostle Paul, who I said last week, you know, he, he spoke so much about our thought life. I'm going to start calling him Dr. Paul, you know, uh, clinical psychotherapist. Um, <laughs> but he said this in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 4, to the Corinthian church. He says, the weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. I would demolish, sorry, the word um, power is the word dunamis, where we get the English word dynamite. That's the explosiveness of this word. We demolish Arguments and every pretension or thought that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So he's talking about this this, this thought life and the, the battle is in our minds between our ears when it comes to our spiritual life. So much happens at a thought level. And again... Much of this is affirmed even in the practice of therapy. In fact, a common therapy, um, I, I utilize this in my past. I've received therapy like this before. It's called cognitive behavioral therapy. We have a graphic uh, on the screen for you. Uh, basically, here's the basic premise of it. This is a very rough definition of it. But that your, your thoughts create your feelings. Your feelings create your thoughts. And then your behaviors, or sorry, your feelings create your behaviors and behaviors create your thoughts. Rinse and repeat. So your thoughts, your feelings, and your behaviors are all interacting with each other. And here's, here's a basic practice. In order to, to disrupt or to short-circuit a negative thought-feeling behavior pattern, so a common one could be this, maybe you fear rejection. That's the thoughts you have, that I'm going to be rejected once again by this person or whatever it might be. So the feeling you have is fear of rejection. And then the behavior of that, what you do in response to that, is maybe you're not your authentic self. Maybe you don't put yourself out there socially. And then you rinse and repeat. Next thing you know, you're kind of in this cycle. So again, this is a very rough definition of it. But the power is in changing your thoughts. And again, I told you before, 91.4% of that which you fear never comes to pass. Therefore, it's a falsehood. And there's a father of lies, and his name is Satan himself. Jesus calls him out as that. So from a spiritual standpoint, here's what we do, is we replace the lies with truths. Now, there are lies, even if we don't fully realize of it, on both a conscious and a subconscious level, that are constantly going through our minds, even we don't realize it. Because it's all around us, even in the culture. And even from, a, from, your, from your understanding and processing of words, uh, verbally, you can, you can understand about 180 words a minute verbally, meaning I could speak at a pace of 180 words a minute, and that's about the extent to which the average person can comprehend. But your brain can actually process 400 words at a given time, meaning this, that while I'm speaking, you're talking to yourself, <laughs> There's 220 words, up to 220 words actually operating in the back of your mind at the same time, that you're actually having thoughts while you're taking in. So it's this constant dynamic. 
And here's the reality is that sometimes there can be things on the background of your mind that's influencing you, your feelings, and your behaviors and bringing destruction into your life without you even fully realizing it. A case in point that there's, there's, there's constant like thoughts in your background even without being fully aware of it. Have you ever caught yourself singing the lyrics to a song and then you couldn't even place when you heard that song? You start singing it. Just recently, our family, we watched the movie Sing Too. Anybody watched that movie yet? It's a great movie for the family. Watch it a couple times. And next thing I know, I'm walking around the house singing, In a sky full of stars. I'm like, what in the world is wrong with me? I'm a 39-year-old man. <laughs> I'm singing a cartoon movie. <laughs> but it's running as a script in the back of my mind. It just comes out sometimes. Uh, so why is that important is because oftentimes we can have scripts running in the back of our minds that can lead to fear in our lives. And I have a tape player here uh, with a tape of some common fears that sometimes can run in the back of our minds and can end up creating fear in our life. And here's what it can sound like. These are some examples. I am going to be alone. I will not fulfill my purpose. Things are going to get worse. I will not have enough. This will overtake me. And what we can do is we can have a script like that. And again, maybe not all of it, maybe some of it. Maybe for some of you it's a fear of being alone, a fear of rejection. Maybe some of you you fear being sick or dying early. Maybe for some of you fear somebody else in your life dying. And what can happen is these scripts of thoughts can play over and over in our mind, even sometimes at our full conscious awareness of it. And here's what Paul says. He says we take every thought captive and we make it obedient to Christ. The verbiage he used and what was understood in that culture, the Greek language he used, when he says take captive every thought, imagine a soldier holding a captive with a knife to their throat. That's the aggression he's using. You take captive every thought and you blow it up. So here's what you do is you, you take captive every thought and you take that thought, you take those scripts that have been playing in your mind over and over again and you tear them apart and you destroy them and you rip them up and you tear those lies up. And how do you do so is you do it with the truth of the word of God. So for example, the, the feeling of maybe the, the, the thought that you're having over and over in your head, I'm going to get sick or I'm going to die early. As you renew your mind with Psalm 103, he heals all my diseases. Or I'm always going to be alone. Deuteronomy 31.6, he will never leave me or forsake me. Or I will not fulfill my purpose. Ephesians 3.20 says, he will do exceedingly and abundantly and above all I could ever ask, think, or imagine. Man, things are going to get worse. Could be the thought you're having. Well, here's the truth. He works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Or this right here, whatever I'm walking through, this is going to overtake me. This is going to overwhelm me. This is going to be the end of me. No, the scripture says in Isaiah 54, no weapon formed against you will ever prosper. There's a reason it's called the sword of the spirit. Do not go to war without your sword. Leverage it, wield it, and destroy those lies of the enemy. Listen, there's far more spiritual than you realize happening right now. Far more than we realize. We are, a, we tend more, we're such a cognitive culture. I think we think far more there's, there's, we think far more is psychological. And listen, I think there's a lot that's, I'm not saying everything's spiritual. 
But I think in our, our current culture, we undervalue how much really is. And God has given us the power. You know, my, my, my youngest daughter, Abby, she inspired me a few years ago because um, this whole idea of, uh, here's a practical um, to make it just a little more real and ground level. I did this this week. Is whenever you're feeling fear about something, or even think to yourself, what are those things that I'm fearful about or feel, feel over, fear over? Write down whatever thoughts you're having associated with that fear. Again, even in psychiatry, it's called name it and tame it. When you identify it, it helps to, to bring it down a little bit. It helps you regulate that emotion. But write down those lies and then ask God, what is the truth? And this is important in reading the scripture. He'll often bring a scripture to mind, like the ones that I just read. Or search out the scriptures. We have a book at our guest services area called the Bible Promises Book. Grab one. You can look up promises on different areas of your life to, to be able to hold on to those promises. Uh, you might even want to put that, those scriptures as the background on your phone. Put them on your mirror at, at, at home. Whatever it means, get the word on the inside of you and renew your mind with it. Uh, my youngest daughter, Abby, a few years ago, we were going on a date, Christina and I. We were leaving the house, and the, and the babysitters got there. And while we're about to leave, Abby's like sitting on the steps, and she starts to, to sing this song from uh, her favorite show. It's a common show, a favorite in the Burroughs household, Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood. Any Daniel Tiger fans, come on. If you don't know Daniel Tiger, he's basically the cartoon version of Mr. Rogers. Um, and very, it's a great show. Teach them how to go potty, all the fun things. So one of the, one of the shows is all about how grown-ups come back. And if your mom and dad leave, you don't have to be afraid because they're going to come back. So as we're walking out the door for our date, she starts singing on the steps, grown-ups come back. What was she doing? She was reminding herself of a truth to help mitigate her fear. Some of you need to sing to yourself, he heals all my diseases he will do exceedingly abundantly and above. Whatever you got to do to get it in your spirit, you need to do it. Because you have been given a sword. Do not go to war empty-handed when he's given you the weaponry to blow up every lie. Jesus says this, referring to the spirit of God. He calls him the spirit of truth in John 16. He, is, he comes to guide you into all truth. I love this idea. You know, David says uh, another part of Psalm 27 to show me the path. And he was looking for the path, looking for direction. You know, the greatest fear has been identified. There was an article published about this. The fear, the foundational fear of all fears is the fear of the unknown. Uh, I don't know about you, but I wish sometimes that God would just say, hey, Jeremy, here is your entire life in a snapshot. You're welcome. <laughs> So at least I knew what was coming, right? Like, okay, I know what's coming around that corner. I know what's coming here. But the reality is if he did, we would put more faith in the plan than we do the one who gave us the plan. So he wants us to have a relationship with him, not to simply be the deliverer of our path. However, the Bible says his word's a lamp unto our feet and a light to our path. He may not give you the whole pathway, but he might show you the next step. And the other night, my, my oldest daughter inspired me because we were watching the Winter Olympics figure skating. And she's in a very inquisitive age right now. She asks lots of questions. So she was asking, uh, hey, Dad, um, 
How do you get into the Olympics? Dad, are those figure skaters, it was team figure skating, are they married? Dad, why are there no one in the stands? Dad, could I get in the Olympics? Dad, how long do they train? Dad, do you think I can go into America's Got Talent? She starts saying, you know. And as a father in my flesh sometimes, come on, parents, I'm like, come on, Lord Jesus, you got to ask somebody else, Hannah, your father's tired right now. But then what God's doing in my heart right now, the redemptive side, is like, okay, this is very sweet. Like, she's my daughter, and she's asking her dad all these questions. So, uh, but I had this thought, like, and even in my own life, I had a moment this week where I had some fear about a situation, and I walked through this. And here's what God spoke to me. He is a God who knows the end from the beginning. He goes before us and is our rear guard. He is the alpha and the omega. So in the moments where we are fearful of the unknown, like what's going to happen, you know, with the pandemic, with, with the economy, with my industry, with my job, with my kids' school, all of those things that we can have fear about. Here's my question to you. When is the last time you inquired of God about that future, about that area that you have fear over? When's the last time you said, God, I don't know what to do. God, I'm overwhelmed. God, can you help show me the way? Help, help guide me. And very practically, that can look like prayer. That can look like reading the scripture. Can I tell you one of the ways that I found such a blessing in my own life that I think can tend to be, I've seen pastorally in 11 years, one of the underutilized, is asking someone, the Bible says this, there's safety in a multitude of counselors, is asking someone who's been walking with the Lord longer than you. One of the values, I'm going to encourage you, if you don't have these relationships in your life, cultivate some. People who've lived a little bit longer life than you and ask them for some insight and some questions. There's something that comes with wisdom from walking through life with the Lord. And if you've done that a little bit, maybe you got some maturity in your life. Can you say amen? Come on. We need those who've walked a little bit longer than other people to lean into them because they can often speak to us and God can speak through them. Uh, to give us guidance in our life. So we got to focus on the presence of God, fill our mind with the word of God. Here's the last point, is that we have to have faith in the power of God. Psalm 27, verse 6 says this. David writes, uh, My head will be exalted above my enemies who surround me. At a sacred tent I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call. Lord, be merciful to me and answer me. David lived a prayerful life, a watchful life. Can I tell you this? A prayerful life is a powerful life. On the flip side, a prayerless life is a powerless life. And we need the power. I don't know about you, but I want the power of God in my life. I've told you before, I don't want my life to make sense. I want it to be like surely the hand of God is upon his life because he couldn't do that on his best day. He's not that good. He's not that smart. He's not that attractive. There's, there's going to be something, and it is God on my life. And that was David. David was like, listen, Lord, like, I don't want to rely upon my own experience. I need the power of God. I need the grace of God. I need the mercy of God. I need a move of God in my life. And that comes by seeking God in prayer. You know, in the Burroughs household, one of my unofficial titles is I am the official or unofficial uh, jar opener. Uh, anybody else have that title? Come on. If my kids need a jar opened, like it's peanut butter. The other day, like yesterday, Hannah was making peanut butter and jelly, which is always the will of the Lord. Um, 
and she handed me the peanut butter, and uh, she couldn't get it uh, unscrewed, so she like quickly goes to dad, and then the jelly, and uh, they, they're always quick, like, like without question. They'll be like, hey, dad, can you open this for me? Dad, can you open this for me? Um, they know dad has no limits. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, in their mind, he doesn't, which is awesome. Uh, but in the same way, though, church, listen. Again, Jesus said this, trials will come. Threats will come. There will be situations in your life that will provoke fear, right? A report from a doctor, a meeting at work, uh, a situation in your class at school, something with your kids. We are continually confronted. I mean, you can just simply scroll social media and be provoked with fear or read the news for a moment and be provoked with fear. And because of that, the question is not, well, how can we avoid it? Because we're confronted with it regularly. But in those moments, may I submit to you, instead of sitting there in your fear, trying to figure it out, trying to work it out, trying to plan it out, trying to figure how am I going to get through this? Man, call upon the one who the same power that raised Christ Jesus from the grave. Call upon him. Call upon him who can do exceedingly and abundantly and above all you could ever ask, think, or imagine. We get peace through prayer. You know, Paul said when we pray, he gives us a peace beyond all comprehension. Psalm 27, verse 13 and 14, the last two verses. The worship team can come now. It says this. David ends with this. I remain confident of this. I want you to hear the the confidence in David's words. Again, mind you, he's still hiding out for his life. There is still a king in an army seeking to kill him. And he says this. I remain confident of this, that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Can I encourage you today? You can be confident of this in 2022. In in about the close of two years of a pandemic, you can be confident that you will see the goodness of the Lord and the land of the living. He is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. God cannot change, and he will not change. What he does is good because he is good. We can be confident of this, he says. Then he says, wait for the Lord. Be strong, take heart, wait for the Lord. Come on, David's preaching to himself. How many of you need to preach to yourself sometimes? You're like, you know, you need to tell yourself, I'm gonna be confident of this. The goodness, I'm gonna see the goodness of God and the land of the living. And that word wait is on a passive wait. Like, I'm just gonna, just gonna sit over here, God, I'm gonna wait for you to come through. Okay. No, it, it, it's the, the actual translation, it's actually an active word. It means you're actively waiting and you wait with eager expectation. Like I remember when my kids were younger, you see Hannah, when she was like real young, she would wait by the door sometimes and I would come home. And she'd like press her face against the glass door. She'd wait for me to walk in the door. Kids wait with eager expectation. He's saying, I'm waiting with eager expectation. I am believing my God can deliver me from all fears. I'm believing my God is gonna come through for me. And we can have that same 
trust, that same courage. And that active waiting, what that means is it means I'm not just gonna sit back and be passive. I'm not gonna be fight, flight, or fawn. I'm gonna keep moving forward in faith. I'm gonna keep loving my family. I'm gonna keep going to school. I'm gonna keep serving people. I'm gonna keep serving God. I'm gonna keep worshiping God. I'm gonna keep showing up to work. I'm gonna keep putting my, my feet forward. I'm gonna read the word. I'm gonna worship. I'm gonna gather my church family. I'm gonna keep moving forward. I'm waiting on the Lord. I'm trusting in the Lord. I'm not trusting in my own strength, trusting in his. My last scripture, Isaiah 40, 31. Isaiah writes this to the Israel people, when Israelites, when they are in suffering. And he says, but those who wait on the Lord, many of you know the scripture, shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like eagles. You know why that phrase is so powerful in Hebrew culture at that time? They would commonly talk about the eagles and how the eagles would put the eaglets on their back of their wings. And the eagles, mom and dad eagle, would take the eaglets to heights they can never take themselves. So here's what Isaiah is saying. Listen, God will take you places you could never take yourself. God will conquer enemies you could never conquer on your own. God will help you overcome things you could never overcome on your own. And if you know their history, it's true for the Israel people. Then he says this, They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. May it be said for us as we wait on God. Say, God, I'm believing you're going to come through. I'm focusing on your presence. I'm filling your mind, my mind with your word. But I got faith in your power. You know, I I mentioned at the beginning of the the message, we're going to come back to to 2 Timothy 1.7. And I want to read it because when I, when I got done my, my message, it actually ties into what we've been speaking of in Psalm 27. Because he says, God didn't give us a spirit of fear, but I want you to watch this, of power, of love, and of a sound mind. And it hit me when I got done with Psalm 27. Because when we focus on the presence of God, we become more aware of what? The love of God. When we fill our minds with the word of God, we then have a sound mind and then when we pray and we call upon the power of God church he's not given you a spirit of fear he's not giving you a spirit of fear he's given you one of power of love and a sound mind so what do you do I don't fix my eyes on that which is seen I fix my eyes the apostle Paul said on that which is unseen and what do I do I fill my mind with the word of God the sword of the spirit that has the power to demolish every lie from the pit of hell and then I have faith in the power of God that I will see the goodness of the Lord that mercy and goodness will follow me all of the days of my life. This is how we move from being fearful to being hopeful. 